two, one. I've got here with me. You have a hard name to pronounce. I do. Yeah, I think. And I, I'll, I'll, I'll do it for you. Nitai Alekshevitz. Nitai. Yes. Perfect. Mm-hmm. And how would you, quick intro, you meet someone in the elevator and mm-hmm. you know, you want to meet them. How would you introduce what you're about, what you're up to in life? Basically, I would say that my entire mission in life is to help people realize how they can self-heal and transform their trauma into a more authentic way of being. I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and through some of those ways involve psychedelics. Is that something you're open to talking oh, about on the show? Please. Well, first of all, I'm an open book. Cool. You can ask me anything. I am a big believer in transparency nice. on all levels. I like it. And yeah, psychedelics for the last six months, I mean, I've... I've partaken in the healing journey of psychedelics but in the last six months i was building a psychedelic retreat business specifically with the intention of trauma release and trauma healing that was so mostly mdma or psilocybin or what kind of route did you go through primarily psilocybin really a psychedelic is it it's like it's considered it is yeah so the psychedelics right now are considered or, or at least the ones that people are looking at that are on the ballot for being cleared are primarily ketamine MDMA, psilocybin. Cool. And oh, mostly from MAPS, right? I mean, MAPS is primarily MDMA. Okay. But there's Field Trip Health right now and Mind Bloom that are heavy on the ketamine sector. Nice. And that's actually already legalized in California. Yeah. And so to dive into mm-hmm. it a little bit, what would be the healing benefit of ketamine? Because I've taken it a couple times. It makes me feel like an alien in my body, very foreign. I'm like, <laughs> what's going on here? And I like MDMA, it's a clear yeah. healing kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you can kind of argue it's like, well, when you come back from it, yeah. were those realizations just kind of fabricated? Like, were they mm-hmm. more grand than life? Or were they actually real? Were they almost like kind of a, like a hypomanic state where you're like, everything's working out. And then you sober up and you're like, is it though? Mm-hmm. Um, but for ketamine, I didn't even get that in the moment kind of clarity. Yeah. So I'm curious, like what people are using that for uh, healing wise? Well, it's interesting because I actually, for me, ketamine is not my thing. It's me something <laughs> it's something that the company started to do because of legality mm-hmm. and with the intention of being above board on everything. Um, however, it's actually my weak, like my weak spot when yeah. it comes to education, because I'm just not interested. Yeah, I'm you, interested. You can just free ball. Like if, if, yeah, if you say no, something, totally. it's like, that's it. I'm not gonna, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I would say what you know, what I've heard is that when you have super high levels of anxiety and depression, mm-hmm. ketamine somehow creates sort of a deep healing experience in the brain mm-hmm. that allows there to be temporary relief. Okay. In like deep depression and deep anxiety. Yeah. And with any psychedelic, it is the way that I describe it is it opens the door and maybe opens the door you didn't even know was there. Yeah. I did experience that on that. But like I don't come back with profound thoughts. What what would be out of the whole I guess the <laughs> list of the three that you are most first yeah. in the one that you like, this clicks with me, I like it, I'm a big proponent of it. Uh, psilocybin all the way, psilocybin. baby. Psilocybin all the way. So when I was younger, I was like, Man, I love psychedelics, mm. I love weed. And then mm. at a certain point in life I'm like, Man, weed just makes me like tight and anxious and makes mm. me want to do dishes and stretch. I'm like, that's not my thing anymore. And more recently, even uh, substances like psilocybin and LSD, I'm like, they last way too long. Like you get the mm. message and it's like, well, you now you're hungry, so now you have to go make a meal and go to the bathroom and take a shower <laughs> while you're tripping. And it's like, oh my gosh, that's like I personally have been since uh, the beginning of the show a yeah. big fan of like an NDMT, like really yeah. kind of short acting ones where it's like, all right, you get the memo and you come back. Mm-hmm. Um, so, do you not feel like any sort of anxiety, or is that part of the the, psil- the psilocybin journey for you, or what? So, so much about psilocybin journey and why retreats can actually be successful is because when you have a highly intentional container. It's like, especially if you do macro doses, which we did, which is hero's dose, five, five grams, dose, five, five grams minutes, and yeah, up. Wow. Mm-hmm. Holy cow. I mean, when you talk about an ego death, like that's, yeah. and, and I'd love to define ego death for you in a minute, like yeah. what that means to I'd me. I'd love to hear it. But essentially, when you hire a retreat company, they are taking care of every single thing. Like... You don't have to know where your shoes are because you have a facilitator who knows where your shoes are. You have basically all your needs are taken care of. And when you come out of your huge cathartic trip, mm-hmm. all you need, you have like a chef that has made you food and See. you have someone to help you process. Yeah. And I mean, when you're talking about trauma release, it's like driving a jet plane. And you, if you give the jet plane a destination mm-hmm. and you prep your mind, body and spirit, yeah. the jet plane will rocket 
toward that destination. I bet. I want to, I'm curious about your personal journey yeah. of where you were at before you had a heroic dose and where after. Because like for me, mm-hmm. in terms of mushrooms, most of had three, maybe 3.25, like mm-hmm. a full eighth. I was like, holy cow, that's strong. I don't really want to take any more. Uh, but I'm not hardlined on it, but I moderately push it back like against the whole idea of you need like a shaman figure or a yeah. trip sitter with you. Like for me, if someone else knew where my shoes were and like when I'm going to eat and stuff, that would make me more like I'm like, no, I want like mm-hmm. not necessarily control, but I want control over my own autonomy of my body. I'm like, I want to know where I can go get food. So I'm like tripping anywhere aside from borderline, like in my own house is kind of an experience where I'm like, holy cow, it's like there's mm-hmm. so many unknowns. And then like you want to lay down and you're just like, well, you're out in nature. There's no bed here. It's like, and you can lay on the ground. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, I know that there's a lot of people who really push that having like a trip sitter or a shamanic figure, or like other people there to help guide the trip would really make it better. Like when, with MDMA, I would do it in a float tank. So it's like just me. Mm. And with like most substances, whenever there's someone else there, I'm like, it just adds, they really have to be someone you know and trust. And like, if you're hiring a company, you've never met them before, you know? So it's like, they might just have a weird like look on their face yeah. that you interpret some way. I'm like, that seems like so many kind of unknowns. So you come and do it yeah. in their house or they come to your clinic or where would it happen? Ideally. So I want to, I want to point to a couple things. Like you talked about how important it is to deal with unknowns, how mm. important it is to have safety and a big part of any psychedelic trip is set and setting, right? Yeah. Set stands for mindset. Setting stands for literally Physical. where you're at. Yeah. And so you pointed to something really important, which is why would I want to go into a space with a bunch of unknowns? Yeah. Because that just adds more factors, more potential for the trip to go wrong. Mm-hmm. First of all, there are in our book, no bad trips. And <laughs> some of the worst trips that yeah. people have had have actually had the highest correlation to breakthroughs and life changes. Absolutely. I've heard that all the time. Yeah. That that's like, oh, but I personally like uh you've been to Eugene Country Fair, you're from LA, so you don't know too much about like no. different fairs up here and stuff like that. I live here now, but yes. Nice. When I was I would say I think it was on my twentieth birthday, mm-hmm. um I'd only ever taken like one tab of L S D and at the point I was like, Well how much can two be? And then I was like, Oh, oh I'll God. take some like <laughs> and I was at a festival, so it's like, you know, there's tons of people walking and talking. It was Ooh. like ten o'clock at night. And I would say that was the definition mm. of a bad trip because the, the white bird, the medical tent, like sedated me with ketamine because when mm-hmm. you come in, they don't have your medical records. Like no one's allergic to ketamine, mm-hmm. but people can be allergic to different things that you would sedate people with. And I was like, I didn't come out of that with anything positive. I would, uh, nothing in life is definite. I would say there are yeah. bad trips where objectively negative things yes. happen to someone and they don't necessarily come out with positive things. And I would say that every psychedelic medicine is different. Yeah. Absolutely. So LSD has a harder edge to it. It is, it is the bad trips on LSD are not the same as a bad trip hours. on mushrooms. Yeah. And, and a bad trip on DMT, 10 minutes. It's like you're minutes. over in 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. You're like a half hour later, you're like, mm, it wasn't very fun, but it's not the end of the world, you know? Whereas some of these things yeah. can stick with people for a long time. The average hero's dose psilocybin journey, even with really, really strong mushrooms, like we were using albino penis envy, mm-hmm. is six hours. Wow. So that's still a long time. A very long time. But we're not talking 10 or 15. Mm-hmm. We're... And there is a softer edge. I believe in the spirit of the psychedelic, right? And there's a very feminine feel for me. Um, And then I I actually, like, I want to circle back because we sort of skipped over a really good question, which is what was life like before a hero's dose? And what was life like after a hero's dose? You personally, what did you go into with your healing jet pointed at, you know? Yeah, exactly. So... So when I talk about an ego death, because this word is thrown around all the time, thrown like, around. what the, f- can yeah. I cuss on here? No, yeah, who cares? <laughs> what the fuck is an ego death? Yeah, like, absolutely. I don't, ugh. And the way that I describe it is, when we are very young, we experience trauma that develops a survival mechanism that we come to identify as being a part of who we are. It becomes a part of our identity. And at some point in time, that survival mechanism is no longer serving us. It's actually hurting us. So when we talk about having an ego death on a psychedelic, what we're essentially talking about is allowing that part of yourself Mm -hmm. that is the unhealthy survival mechanism to go with grace. And why I say go with grace is because you cannot pit yourself against a part of yourself 
that you, you identify as, of course. And you that you identify you. as. Yeah. yeah. I so mean, like it, an example of this, I've always used like operate like an old operating system kind of thing. Like if you grew up with parents who at the slightest, uh, you know, thing would get verbally mad at you, you mm. all of a sudden are way too socially attuned. And then someone gives you like just a wrong look when they're, you know, not even totally. thinking they're drunk and you take it negatively. So that's a bad operating system that you would then have an ego mm -hmm. death and hopefully confront and fix. But you think it's a part of you much exactly. like I mean, people political ideas, the smallest things people get emotionally invested in being like that idea is part mm. of me so you know so what was your if you're open to talking about you said oh, you're yeah. an open book you childhood trauma that you wanted to overcome in that way yeah i think most of us have some some level of trauma right and one of the most important aspects of recognizing trauma is to not compare it to other people's traumas which is what most of us do we go i don't have as bad as that person <laughs> yeah, yeah right absolutely. like well i wasn't sexually abused and sexually assaulted and Whatever, so like, I must not have I wasn't trauma. Trapped in the basement for three years, like it's like it just can you know it can go so far. It can go so far, yeah. and it can also be something as little as you were six years old at elementary school and something happened to your mom, and you were waiting for three hours and your mom didn't show up and you thought mom is never coming back, yeah. and then you boom, carry insecure attachment boom style. <laughs> insecure attachment style right totally. All of a sudden you're anxious right, and the interesting thing is. I work with the nervous system and somatic healing. Mm -hmm. So the somewhere in your body and in your mind, that belief of mother, mom is never coming back is living. Body and keeps score kind the of body, Yeah, the body keeps the score, exactly. And you just don't even, you start operating and all of a sudden your world is consistently reflecting evidence to prove your belief system. Yeah. So when you walk in, my jet plane was around my father, right? And my father had a pretty, there was like a, he was like my best bud, right? I was an only child. And then right around the age of 10 or 11, he had an addiction that my mom wasn't okay with. And I could start to Gambling. notice when he was high. Mm. And it wasn't even a big one. It was just weed. But my mom wow. was like really adverse to it. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I think addiction can, it doesn't matter what it is. If you start choosing it, that substance over everything else in your life. Very telling. It's so an like addiction. The people around you are like, wow, they're choosing that over me. And yeah. Stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So I would go so far as to say my father chose smoking weed over having a relationship with me. Wow. So suddenly 10-year-old goes, what's wrong with me? And I kicked into the survival mechanism of high achiever. Mm -hmm. High achiever and, and the cool girl who has no needs, right? That's how you strike me as right now. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> you look like you're straight A. Yeah, I, totally. I, so it said, I, I love like kind of like hippier yeah. down to earth like thing, but it's like, wow. That, so that's who you were in high school. You were like extremely buttoned up, need to get good grades to kind of prove something. Kind of. I, I've always of been a hippie chick, like big oh, okay. time. Like you yeah. can see the hippie chick all the way. Um, but I was, yeah, I was like, you know, and all of this was to get attention, right? Mm. To get recognition, to be seen. And as you get older, everything, you, all your adult relationships with men mm -hmm. or women or whatever it is that you're working through will reflect yeah. that. So I went into my hero's dose journey with the intention to heal my relationship with my father and particularly with like the masculine in general. Validation of masculine. Yeah, kind of also codependency, mm -hmm. anxious attachment, all yeah. that stuff. That said, to touch on codependency, it's not the end of the. I don't think it's yeah. it's it's painting in a really bad light of like codependent people are horrible, but it's like we are communal beings. Like we should be codependent on one another. Maybe not like 100% of your needs are one person, but it's like we depend on each other we do. for happiness. And However, sure. there's a difference between interdependency, mm -hmm. which is necessary. We need tribe. Mm -hmm. We need tribe, and yeah. much of our when we go into talking about the nervous system, one of the major, there's actually a social nervous system now that talks about how we operate with a fear of, of being left by the tribe that is now Massive. a part of, it's now, so we've got fight, flight, fawn, tend and befriend and fawn are the same and freeze. They're the same or the opposites? They're the same. What's fawn, tend and, fawn and tend and befriend. What it's is fawn, that? I've never yeah, heard both. that. It's yeah. when you sacrifice when you feel as though your survival is at risk and you go out of your way to ingratiate yourself to the person who could potentially harm you, mm. right? And this could be a bully at school. This could be your boss. Someone is, in essence, actually causing you a great deal of anxiety. And instead of fighting mm -hmm. or leaving, you ingratiate. You tend and befriend. You fawn. Go at it, though, potentially. 
Except then it causes a huge internal split. Mm. It's actually what most of society is doing. Yeah. And it's closer to the freeze than it is to fight or flight. Fight or flight are actually in the sympathetic nervous system, which is active. Yeah. You're taking action. And what happens when you're in fight or flight is you actually move trauma through your body. Mm. When you're in freeze, like we've been during this pandemic, or you're in um, tender befriend, you're, you're stuck. Mm. You're in a stuck mode. So... Yeah, essentially with psychedelics and with this hero's dose, just to like trip back to that, the most brilliant thing about psychedelics, especially hero's dose psychedelics, is you go beyond the intellectual mind and into the body. And so when you have a revelation, you're not just like intellectually knowing it. I use the term grokking. You guys know mm -mm. Stranger in a Strange Land? So it's, it's an old book in the 70s. But to grok means to feel it, to know it in your body, yeah. which is interesting. It's like gnosis, which Can't is- Can't forget it kind of thing. Which is, a, it, it's, a different, it's a different way. You can hear things all day long in talk therapy, but when you're actually feeling it in your body, grokking. the choices <laughs> become natural. Yeah. That's fascinating. So did you accomplish where you set your jet off to be? Because you even mentioned mm -hmm. the term, uh, like a feeling of importance kind of thing, which is, yeah. I don't even think something that just people with trauma have, like everyone unanimously, even if you experience no trauma mm. regarding it, wants to feel important in their yeah. own view or in the tribe of the, like the view of the tribe that they're, they're around. So it's like, how would you overcome that of being like, I don't care if I'm important, even to myself. It's like, that's something that's so innate, you know? It's not that you don't care. It's not a fix all. It's not like you walk through the door once and you never have to walk through the door again. Yeah. It's that un suddenly you have an understood, felt sense in your body of exactly what it feels like to be fully content in what you're giving yourself. Mm -hmm. You really feel self-love. You really feel self-worth. You see with compassion why people did what they did. I saw why my father was the way he was and how his own survival mechanisms drove him to make the choice he did. And I was filled with a sense of compassion that allowed me to let go because 90% of the stress we cause ourselves is in our minds. However, when it goes from our minds or lives in our bodies, we generally just don't really release it. And to me, psychedelics allow you to really release it and then you have to reinforce the new neural pathway. Mm -hmm. Again and again, you have to start setting up different habits in life. You have to start it's setting hard. up. It's hard. And that's <laughs> the thing. It's like, it's like, but the breakthrough, yeah. like when people come to us and it's funny because I'm not with this company anymore. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, I'm excited to. But when people come to us, they're like, I don't know what the fuck to do. I've done talk therapy. I've done every healing modality in the world. And it's always that core wound. Mm -hmm. It's always that childhood trauma. I still feel it. I'm still realizing that my life is being lived. You know, Carl Jung says, you know, if, you know, you do not make the unconscious conscious, it will lead your life and you will call it fate. It will mm -hmm. direct your life and you will call it fate. Mm -hmm. So essentially, it's not only bringing the unconscious to the conscious, but it's actually getting it to a different place of knowing. Mm. A knowing that is not just up here. Puts everything in perspective and then you still got to integrate it kind of continually. So yeah. how many heroic doses have you done? What, did you keep going in it with the same like jet destination or do you no. have like, you have, you have different <laughs> ones or? Nah, there's always different destinations, always baby. Different Come on. We got a lot of trauma as human yeah, beings. We're absolutely. like, okay, I just dealt with daddy. Now it's time to deal with mommy. <laughs> um. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I mean, essentially. Um, so I've done two. Wow. And then I've done, so I can do up to like three grams on my own, but I won't go above that. And what's so interesting is, is the set and setting and everything you talked about, the unknown factors, the way that you have to operate as a company that does this well, and the way that I will operate if I choose to start my own company after leaving this one, is that you create the community and you create the safety parameters as meticulously as possible even though it's this unknown place, even though there's these unknown people. Mm -hmm. So I was the community and culture architect. Mm -hmm. And so what I did was I was, and I was also the number one emotional and customer support. Mm -hmm. So I literally, before a journey, would tell people, I bring all of you. Every single bit of you is accepted here. If you need to call me seven times every single day before this journey to feel safe, do it. Wow. 
And what was interesting is that the process of getting through that anxiety and being accepted and seen and validated through that anxiety is a part of the healing journey before the healing journey even begins. Hmm. So you're already dealing with your shit. Yeah. And what happens is this is that the psilocybin like hones in on it and is like, oh, yeah, what's your biggest, dirtiest thing that you're hiding? What's your biggest shadow? Oh, poof. Here it is. Deal with it. And then you what what we've everything that we've done, we do like a deep, a deep dive questionnaire and all the stuff. Everything that we've done is already geared you to have that at the surface. Wow. Yeah. That must have been a very rewarding job to be a part of. Oh, like, fuck company. yeah, dude. And so how long were you with that company? Um, it's so funny because I'm like, I, I don't really want to lead people toward that company anyway. But you don't um, have to mention the name of them. But like and, your, your experience, how many yeah. like, trips did you bring people It's not on? ended well. Like They've, a couple years or? No, actually. Actually, it was, I was, the company grew very fast. Mm-hmm. They're kind of newer on the psychedelic market. Um, but they were at this like bulldozing speed train pace but I came on at the very beginning and we did one retreat a month for six months Mm -hmm. and um, I have a background in you know trauma-informed facilitation I worked at a rape crisis center and I also worked at an outpatient drug rehab and it all comes down to the same thing it's unhealed trauma yeah right and addiction is just a way of it's 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 another survival mechanism Mm -hmm. and that's it and and i don't even like using the word addict because i'm like yes addict is a thing but it's also a label that creates a whole plethora of identity self-fulfilling prophecy self-fulfilling prophecy whereas if if i say just like someone has cancer like oh you have cancer but it's not who you are. You, you right now you are in in addiction, but it's not who you are. Like heal your core wound, mm. heal your core trauma. So I came from that background. And when I realized that psychedelics, I almost don't want to use the word shortcut because there's such a like People negative connotation. Like a, meditation therapy is like a rake and psychedelics are like a leaf blower. Have you ever mm. heard that? Where it's just a lot quicker to get kind of the same, like the same task achieved. Um, yeah, I ever... mean, if you if you think of like Ram Dass or what, I mean, the thing is, you can't really just do a psychedelic trip and yeah, do nothing else. Absolutely. You know, I mean, once you're leaf blowing, the leaves get so thick that you do eventually have to rake, you know, but it's it a can, great caveat. It it's help. a great caveat. Yeah. yeah. No, it will really blow it open. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it'll blow it open. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God, I, I see this thing or I, ex- I have experienced this sense of completeness or wholeness or. You know, one of my clients said, I met my inner child for the first time. Wow. And my therapist has been telling me for five years, you know, it, it makes visceral mm-hmm. what before was just, you know, this sort of intangible thing. And so when you were working at these other clinics before you got into this, have you had an addiction mm-hmm. in your life that you overcame and you kind of noticed in yourself like, oh, this is just kind of a, a mechanism to yeah. deal with something that I'm going through in life? I think everybody's addicted to something. Oh, absolutely. I'm not even going to lie. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, what? Like, I don't know. You're, you might be addicted to consumerism. I feel like I had a love addiction, mm, right? Wow. Coming out of codependency. Yeah. I mean, That's I... That's a unique one. You think? Like most people, like food, substances, <laughs> alcohol... They uh, probably haven't phones. even gotten to their love addiction yet. Probably. Not, I think yeah. you'd be surprised. <laughs> like, yeah. It's yeah. under there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or it's one we don't hear about often, I'd say. Or it's one we don't recognize as being an addiction. Yeah. Good point, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I dated like it was my job in my 20s. Wow. Like, every, like I, I used to joke I dated every emotionally unavailable man in Los Angeles, <laughs> and there's a lot of them. <laughs> That's funny. And I was upset and people were like, don't you want to like pursue your career? Like, don't you want to? And I was like so unconsciously pursuing that validation from men. And then what blew it all open is when I was 28. And I'm going to I'm going to be a little nerdy and hippie and woo woo here. That's the beginning of your Saturn return in astrology, which is like basically when all the shit hits the fan for the first time in your life, 28 to 32. I mean, sometimes if you've already been through a lot of shit, it actually kind of like solidifies the new person that you are. But nice. anyway, well, I digress. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, my, my dad, who I never really asked anything of, right? Because I was like the cool girl that didn't eat. I was like the parent to my parents. I was yeah. 15 going on 30, like <laughs> whatever. Um, my dad had moved to India and was living in an ashram. Wow. 
and he had leukemia when I was a teenager and it and it came back and by the time they caught it he was stage four Mm. and so I fortunately could at the time it wasn't easy but I could leave everything and go to India so 28 28. so I went to India and took care of was one of my dad's caretakers as he was dying of cancer for two and a half months and that blew the lid off all my wounds and issues I I finally saw them for what they were as a replaying of my relationship with my dad Mm -hmm. meanwhile my dad was dying and I had one of the most beautiful and profound experiences of my life being with him and talking to him about his childhood and the way he grew up and I mean it I'm going to write a book about it nice. because there's so many incredible things happened. Like in a tiny ashram in the middle of nowhere in India, everything I asked for was given to me. Yeah. Like there was a a couple that were not only caretakers that taught me how to actually be basically hospice for my dad. But how to get closure. But how to get closure. They would give us sessions. And, wow. you know, one of the most profound things that's ever been said to me is this woman this amazing, beautiful therapist woman looked at me and said, one day when I was crying, because my dad had said something that was meant to be a compliment, but it was actually quite hurtful, because he didn't know how to give compliments, because he never got them. But what she said was, she was like, oh, honey, he can't love you the way you want him to love you. He doesn't know how. He doesn't love himself that way. How how could he even comprehend how to love you that way? I was like... Mic drop, you yeah. know. That makes <laughs> like, a lot of things oh easier. My God. Like, holy cow. <laughs> anyway, that's that story. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's something that a lot of people say where it's like everyone wants to feel understood, but they don't even understand themselves, kind of thing. And it's yeah. like, how can you expect others to understand like your motives, what you want in life, when you don't even understand yourself, kind of what you're going for? And like, yeah. puts a lot in perspective. Doesn't make you like have that craving for like, why don't people understand me yeah. as much? So that's kind of like another aspect of it of like, why mm. doesn't this one specific person show me love and validation the way that I want? Exactly. And, and I started operating about a year ago, off the basis that everybody two things, everybody's doing the best they can. And at a very young age, when the nervous system is forming, and the by the way, the first seven years, your nervous system is if is synced up to usually your mom, but your primary caregiver. Hmm. It's like a survive. It's part of survival but whatever your parent is going through Mm -hmm. it's going to start orienting your child nervous system toward that until you heal it so our nervous system always orients toward connection or protection Mm -hmm. always and most of the time when people are assholes they're just trying to protect themselves and if you start to realize that everybody is orienting toward connection or protection you can see shitty things that are being done in it with a little more compassion. Yeah. And that's really revolutionized the way that I look at things. Of course, it's hard because a lot of times somebody else's protection puts you into your protection. Yeah, a lot of this is easy to say. And <laughs> yeah, you actually totally. like work with someone for like a month and every time you see them, you're like, oh my gosh, this person fundamentally doesn't want to get better, like all these yeah. things. And at a certain point, you got to be like, okay, c- cognitively, I know that this is how it is, but I don't want to be near this person until they get, you know, further along in their journey or whatever. Like, yes. it's hard to be like a perfect equanimous being who's just like, I understand where you're coming from and why you're screaming yeah. at me or whatever. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's like, you know what? Totally. I'm on my own journey. How about, don't make your <laughs> journey mine this is i'm not you know i'm not a sherpa kind of thing yes we do put a lot on other people that's for sure yeah sometimes it's really rewarding like if you help someone kind of through their like talk through or work through or whatever be there as someone gets better like it can really motivate you to be better you can kind of see some similarities in your own life like that is one thing that is really nice about seeing and being around people who Mm -hmm. you're like i really don't like this person fundamentally is be like why don't i don't why do i not like them and being like how am i like that i want to be less like that like that is the biggest blessing of being surrounded or having a couple people who are like I want to be nothing like them is you're like okay what are they like can I write it down can I like figure it out and then understand that this is how it comes off to other people and just not be anything like that you know I want to take that what you just said and and both agree with it and then add like a different dimension to it because someone once said that the the basis of shadow work is when someone else triggers you Mm -hmm. there's something in that that's a part of your shadow so like, let's say there's someone who's really obnoxious that's always getting attention and you're someone who has 
for whatever reason, chosen that that's not your way, right? You have a harder time either speaking up or being seen. You most likely will have a trigger reaction, like eye rolling, like, oh my God, that person just needs so much attention. But really, there's a shadow aspect to it in yourself where you actually desire Mm. to be more easily seen and heard, or you desire to speak up more. or And so there is something in that. Like when we judge others, there's also something from the book Nonviolent Communication that says judgment is an unexpressed need. Judgment is an unexpressed need. And I was like, wow. So you can look at a stranger and judge them. And there's something in yourself. Again, we're we're not perfect Zen Buddhists. Well, she is, but the rest of us have to work on. (laughs) I believe that about you. Um, So yeah, there's just, there's, there's this thing where you can always bring it back to yourself and take more full responsibility for your life, for your interactions, for your own feelings. However, yes, it is very helpful to say, wow, I really see that person acting from their pain point Mm -hmm. all the time. And not only do I not want to be that person, I want to get to the point where I can be non-reactionary to all those people throwing their shit around and their baggage around, Mm -hmm. right? Some people just want an emotional reaction out of you. Like that's the whole goal of some people is just kind of validate their actions. It's like, whoa, kind of the best thing you can do is just almost ignore them or move away from them. It's like, man, like Mm -hmm. how nice would it be if everyone in like a group or all of society didn't have any trauma and it was just like, nice. I (laughs) living by kind of your tense of everyone has like is doing their best. They have Mm -hmm. good intentions. Because like that's the other thing. Like we judge ourselves by our intentions and others by their actions. You know, it's like take other people's intentions into account take mm. our own actual actions regardless of our intentions it's like man that'd be nice just gotta dose a whole city with uh with mushrooms right How rogue <laughs> does. that'd be a chaos of a day that'd be uh <laughs> that's that's my life mission so <laughs> um actually that's kind of what all these companies and all this research is saying like if you can come to a wholeness or a deeper level of awareness in yourself, right? Where the unconscious becomes conscious, Mm -hmm. then you come closer to your more authentic self, which is you before trauma. And like, are you gonna get along with everyone? Is the authentic you gonna get along with everyone before trauma? No, but hopefully you won't be like, you know, vomiting your baggage all over everyone either and it's like even even that example you gave i was like you know someone who needs constant validation that's their pain point so at some point they didn't receive it and now they're always seeking it because they don't know how to give it to themselves so that's the work here's the thing though something you get a big like you hit the jackpot lottery or something or something like you get a new job like you Mm. want to share it with others and you want them to be happy for you right like Mm. i think it's something that isn't necessarily even negative like it can get to a negative level where Mm. you're like you're just like unhappy unless you get validation but i'm like that's a big thing where it's like when something good happens to you you can't share it with everyone in your life because some people are like you're taking an opportunity that i could have had or some people are like i don't have it as good you got lucky or like Mm. all these things you can't actually share it with everyone but it feels so good to have people who you can yeah. share genuinely good news with and they're just happy for you blanket, you know? So it's yeah. like, I think we're all starving for it in the sense that the majority of who we're surrounded with mm. doesn't want good things to happen with you. It's like holy like crabs in the barrel kind of thing <laughs> where you drag each other down and you're like, I have a bad, why don't you have a bad with me kind of thing. Misery right. loves company. It's like, I think if everyone was yeah. just like, when something good happened to someone and everyone around us, I'm, mm. I'm just purely happy for you, I think we'd be craving validation a lot less you know Mm. um there was some book how to win friends and influence people that Mm. uh someone suggested and they're like many of us wouldn't let our partners go a week without eating but we'll let them go years without saying like hey you're doing wonderfully i appreciate you like they don't give them Mm. any validation they like starve them of that i'm like that's fascinating i think a lot of people are really starving of that yeah and there's there's a couple things that go into that right it's like you can look at puritanical culture so my my master's is in gender and sexuality, but really it's it's an aspect of cultural anthropology. Hmm. So you look at this whole idea that you are, sh- that pride is shameful, right? Yeah. To feel proud or to be celebrated or pleasure. Pleasure is shameful. Pure pride is shameful. Yeah. Um, we must always elevate um, the mind and the sort of even the lone wolf, the independent warrior, as opposed to community, as opposed to um, these other aspects of like 
deeper inner knowing. And I'm sort of circling around away from the point here. But like the idea is that we have moved away from the rituals and the methods and the community habits Mm -hmm. that allowed for more consistent validation from others. And now we actually have to like go somewhere or call someone. And we're also in, in this mode of scarcity, which is like, well, if you have it, and this by the way is like, I define the patriarchy as dominator culture. So dominator culture is power, sorry, excuse me, it's power over instead of power with. Mm -hmm. So power with means you succeed, I succeed, or we succeed together. There's plenty. Um, Power over is I only succeed if I step on top of you. Mm -hmm. That's a rather dramatic way of putting it. Social hierarchy instead of like a a win-win game where everyone Mm -hmm. can kind of win. That's it. Yeah. It's interesting. Patriarchy has such a male connotation to it. It's interesting. Yeah. Like, whereas really, I'm like, there's a lot of like people who I know that are men that uplift women. Yeah. Almost even more so than men. It's like it's it's it is fascinating how oh, much yeah. people kind of like gravitate towards stuff. You have a master's in it, so I'm obviously going to lend you a lot more credence to knowing about it than I do. Um, I actually want to ban the word patriarchy. I I think that we should just say dominator culture. Yeah. Right. Because okay, dominator. So, you said it, so I'm like, wow, she like kind of believes that that's a mm, thing. Where I'm like, there's a lot of. It's known. Mm-hmm. Like when we're dissecting culture mm-hmm. and we're dissecting social hierarchy but there's a it doesn't really work anymore yeah so we're going to replace patriarchy with dominator culture yeah it's a problem (laughs) (laughs) Um. men are wonderful i love i love men like they have been actually a lot of my best friends are men and why do you think that is i'm so because there's 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 a ton of people out there in in life who like get along with the person of the opposite gender Mm. or their own gender or both and yeah. like I notice, I personally get along with men or at least connect better. Like there's certainly women who like I get along really well with. But it's like, man, like mm. it's interesting if I was someone who got along better with women than men, I'd be like, why is that that I don't connect with people of my own gender? It seems like I have more mm. in common with them, you know? Well, again, this is tricky, right, from the gender and sexuality point of view, because you have to make generalizations yeah, about totally. culture. That's, that's all we're doing here. But, you know, predominantly women are socialized to be more at ease with their emotional body and their emotional expressiveness mm-hmm. predominantly it's changing now so you like hanging out with people who repress it no, i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> yeah right <laughs> um you know but also women are taught to tend and befriend um they're taught to speak more niceties than they are directness and yeah, truth absolutely. and I happen to find the blend of directness and truth with high emotional intelligence in very specific men in my life. And I really need both. Um, Also, there just is something about a feeling of like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I, let's go back to my own childhood. Maybe I crave it because it's what I didn't get from my father. Maybe I gravitate toward it because it's still filling a need. It is something that, I mean, there's common tropes about it in TV shows, but something I've personally Mm -hmm. seen where it's like, a lot more often men like uplift each other and like a lot of women like kind of hold each like aren't out for each other's best interest well i mean all the time massive blanket there's obviously women who no 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 there's there's a there's a very clean and clear historical reason for that Mm -hmm. um women were given like if you even go back to the 1800s in england right um that 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 bridgerton the the show bridgerton is a great example of this um Women had no rights. They had no finances. Everything that they were is been defined through their relationship with a man. Their value is defined through a relationship with a man. And yet they are not the chooser. They are the chosen. Mm. And so all of a sudden you have women in competition for their survival yeah. based on a societal construction of gender. And they must compete against each other to rise in the ranks and they actually have to because they can't make money or you know it's it's more complicated but but yeah it's it's kind of funny that women get to choose more than men like men can't be like oh i can kind of pick who i date it's like man who will take me now whereas like women could be like i i like anyone who i want i can make an approach on like Men just don't have that freedom in the world, so it almost seems like now, another, instead of a personal. But it didn't used to be that exactly. way. Exactly, so yeah. it seems like a personal operating uh-huh. system instead of like that's 
uh, society's childhood trauma mm-hmm. that now it's right. still running when it's like it doesn't really make sense because it's almost the opposite way you know it's like uh, yes and no i mean women's body image like value has just switched to something different but you know i would say many many women especially women getting older i turned 40 this year like we definitely struggle with what it is like I can't even tell you how many women I know even this day and age whose exes have left them for someone 13 years younger or 14 years younger so this idea that there's something of value in attractiveness or youth is still very present um people like Leonardo DiCaprio out there perpetuating not dating anyone older (laughs) than 24 (laughs) I mean and so there's still this weird thing but honestly we're all healing it together we have to heal it together like I I love men that support other men and are learning how to like have deep emotional and open expression with other men um in men's groups and all the stuff that's incredible I love women that are flat on taking off like I don't care I've I have a ton of friends that are sex coaches and they're like intimacy and sex coaches and they look gorgeous and they're in lingerie on Instagram. And what is it as a woman to tamp down that judgmental voice? That's like, oh, she just wants attention and go, no, maybe she's owning that because a woman who can own her nudity for herself is Mm -hmm. a powerful thing. I like it. I I like, appreciate people like you who are like, Hey, I'm, you don't inject gender into every single like decision you make. Whereas a lot Mm -hmm. of people are like, I'm out to help fix like gender issues or like inequality and stuff, yet they make decisions based on like the sex of the person. So I'm like, it's kind of the opposite. You're bringing sex or like some Mm -hmm. people do with race. It's like by trying to do what they're doing, they're actually doing the exact opposite. Now, every decision that they make Mm -hmm. that involves a couple of people, they take their gender and sex or their, Mm -hmm. you know, their sex and race into account. I'm like, that's kind of understandable, but it seems, seems kind of backwards for the sake of like, you know, I'm like, I don't know, but then it's a really tricky feel. I don't mean to get into all that, but I, oh, I would no, say a lot I, of people are it. actively uh, working against what their goal is in life. Like uh, you, you understand mm-hmm. it when say you have, maybe you're non-political completely and you talk to a left-wing person mm-hmm. and you're like, whoa, and you, it turns you more right-wing and then you talk to a right-wing person and make, makes you more left-wing. It's like most people yeah. espouse their values and it actually kind of, I've noticed personally moves people away from whatever they're trying to convince people of or move yeah. people toward. And I'm like, wow. Yeah, and I'll tell you why you've just hit on one of the primary like mottos of my life. And that is every time you hit against resistance, you're not experiencing flow. Yeah. So what you were talking about with the people who make everything about the gender is, first of all, people can't pass a certain age. People, people, people can't change how they were raised. They mm-hmm. can't. Now it's at a point where I am who I am. And when you attack who they are based on something they couldn't control, all of a sudden, all you're hitting is resistance. When you talk to someone who's really left wing or really right wing, all you're hitting is resistance. And really, what you have to do is get in a space of how can I understand you? How can I be curious about you? How can I arrive at an understanding of how you see the world? Mm -hmm. And that creates flow. That creates connection. I like it. Yeah, it's it's important. I'm, it, kind of what brings us up is like some further left wing people I know, like say outwardly racist things against white people in an attempt mm. to like be like, get it, it's all even. I'm like, no, that's that's like literally the opposite direction. You know, it's it's really interesting the way that the world's heading. I think it's probably like maybe mm. it's like a rubber band effect where it's going a little bit too far the other way because I'm like, mm. you know, the world should be just more equal. But man, do you ever just get kind of like disheartened looking at how screwed up the world is and how it's trying to fix itself and actually kind of making it worse in a lot of ways and it's just nobody's getting along there's even if two people agree politically maybe religiously they don't agree if they agree Mm -hmm. religiously they don't agree in terms like how to raise a child or how to like form a culture or what friendships should look like i'm like how are we even getting along i mean that's the joy of kenzie and i's relationship we just hit our five-year anniversary and we grew up in the same city Uh, she's two years older than me so around Mm -hmm. the same age we went to the same schools Mm -hmm. we had like a lot of the same experiences so we communicate like back of your hand because Mm -hmm. we had the same tvs on as a child we had the same foods we had the same you know environments (laughs) but it's like man i think it would be really hard Mm -hmm. for me to have relationships with someone who is in a different age bracket and grew up in a different Mm -hmm. place because like so many of the things you take for granted you would Mm -hmm. try to communicate with them and they'd be like they would just take it so much differently i'm like wow the fact that Mm -hmm. everyone's moving and all jumbled up together i'm surprised we can communicate at all you know i'm like well, I mean, so there's there's a couple things you, you mentioned there, and you're kind of 
pointing to nature versus nurture, right? And the importance of the effect on our personality or our identity as we know it. And, you know, also then you're talking about personal preference. It's like some people are absolutely delighted by someone who's very, very like other or different. Mm -hmm. um, and that's based on who knows. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's their nature. Maybe it's their nurture. Um, but, you know, the world in terms of despairing about the world I don't really let myself focus on it nice. because, because I can get so sad that it disables me from yeah. being active. And when I focus on what I can do, mm -hmm. like the work I'm doing, mm -hmm. and honestly, like the world will heal one person at a time. Yeah. And so when I talk about changing the world through psychedelic retreats, mm -hmm. What I'm doing is saying there is there is a domino effect. There is a pay it forward butterfly effect, whatever you want to call it, all the effects, yeah. entanglement theory even. And if one person starts engaging in the world from a more healed, self-aware place, yeah. they are going to have an impact on everyone in their little community, their little crew. And if you do that with enough people and they all go back to their separate communities and they're bringing more love, mm. more acceptance more um hey i'm so glad that you just more celebration of other people's success yeah. because they're not in that mode anymore where all they're trying to do is protect themselves and and think that there's not enough to go around then then all of a sudden the world will start becoming better because one kind action will lead to another kind action. So you're kind of tending to the part of the garden you can touch, but making yes. sure that there's other gardeners in there that can then go off and tend to the part of the garden yeah. they can touch, which is the exact totally. opposite of approach of most people. Most people are like, we need to fix it from the top down. Whoever is the president, <laughs> that's the biggest decision, not whoever is my local government or whoever is my friend group like thinking yeah. differently. Everyone's like top down approach where it's, nothing's going to change that way. It does take the bottom. And what I mean by like get mm. disheartened, I don't think we get super disheartened, but we talk about like, oh, the way mm. kids are being raised or like healthcare system yeah. is like at a certain point you're like oh my god it's so screwed and i have no oh effect on it I what know. do i do and then mm -hmm. or like you walk down the street and you see people in utter despair and you're like i'm not a place where i can help them if i help them there's a million others mm -hmm. it's like you almost do have to have some sort of like mm. air of of stupid optimism you know <laughs> you have to be like i know it's really bad but here i, I swear mm -hmm. i can make a difference but it's like yeah yeah it's it's so fascinating so to go to other like another kind of thing that mm. probably put you in a despair mindset is what happened uh, at the company, not naming any names or the company to yeah. not promote them. Like what happened there that um, pushed you on out of the company? Mm. We're like, I don't want to be okay. a part of that anymore. So this is really interesting because I, I want to speak to this as sort of like the value system of startups mm. and founders and founders relationships with their own product and their own idea because I think it's really important. So I came on into this company at the idea was already there. The founder had the idea, right? But the idea had not been realized. And at the first realization of that idea, which was the first public retreat, mm. um, I was hired to facilitate. And what's, what's interesting is we had this conversation where I was like, hey, wow, I love what you're doing. I love your idea. Like, are you trauma informed at all? And mm. it was and I, I was like careful because I knew it would sound abrasive. Mm. And he was like, oh, bleh, uh, no, but I've <laughs> been to a month long thing in the Amazon with a shaman and whatever. And I was like, OK. Um, but, you know, on that retreat, there was something that could have gone really awry, but it didn't because mm. I noticed that there was a disassociative split happening mm. in a client on, a, on high doses. And three days later, I sat down with this man with a PowerPoint and I said, a PowerPoint of my whole vision for what mm. the company could wow, be. Very cool. He was like, wow, you're ballsy. He and I was him, like, this is a job interview. <laughs> I mean, and, and he was like, well, it's very in line with my vision. And nice. what's interesting is I never actually even saw his vision before I showed him mine. Mm. But I'm not, I don't have, for the most part, a scarcity mindset. So um, partnership was offered, but I made a major, major, major faux pas. Mm. I worked on verbal agreements and not written contracts for way too long. So um, for the next six months, I proceeded to completely reinvent the company got its name that it still stands under. It used mm -hmm. to just be this person's individual name. Mm -hmm. And and essentially, it was very interesting because he had a history or a past of businesses not working out and 
his actual words were, everyone who works for me ends up hating me. That should have been a red flag That's to me. That's very telling, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Things like> that <laughs> should have been telling. a red flag, but it was not. So so I, I dove in and, and I created, co-built this business with this person and it was f- successful but not monetarily because because I wasn't in charge of any of the finances. So I had a far less percentage anyway because I wasn't putting in sweat equity. Mm-hmm. So what was really interesting is there was like this sweat real equity. this right. There was like this real like sense of like any time we would have an altercation, he would double down on like trying to control and like take away any like power I had and I would be like okay let's just work this out and the word the word is I don't know why you've made yourself your enemy he would say the word enemy a lot and I would be like I'm just disagreeing with you it's not the same thing at all um but so eventually what happened is he brought on um a romantic partner as an investor Great. <laughs> but I mean, that's essentially I mean, I'm sure they think it's going great. But but there was like it was like really badly handled. Mm-hmm. So all the verbal agreements that were made to me regarding equity, regarding pay, regarding everything when he needed me mm-hmm. flew out the window. And over the month of January, I was like a total wreck because I felt like I was giving up my baby. Right. Or that my baby was being taken away from me because mm-hmm. I had put so much heart and so much sweat and so much whatever into this company. And so, you know, I just think that there's a certain ethical responsibility and a way that you can create community and culture in a startup that creates trust and stability in an uncertain environment. By not and openly gaslighting the people you're working with and taking advantage of them. That's probably a pretty important facet of almost anything. Okay, you said it, not me, because I don't want to down. I don't want to denigrate even then, because I realized I'm going to go back to this that this person was acting out of protection and not connection. Like he didn't feel. And also, he was very much raised in a corporate dominator CEO culture mm-hmm. where the idea of collaboration and yeah. safety and engendering trust. Um, and so it's really interesting because I I was offered a new contract um, that had broken three agreements, three verbal, very, very important <laughs> agreements we had made. And I turned it down. And I turned it down from my own self-respect. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I basically... The, what I said was, I was like, I feel like I am have to like walk away from my baby, but in order to stay, I need to put up with an abusive relationship. Wow. And I wasn't willing to do that. And it sucks because I love this work. Mm-hmm. I built this company. Yeah. I co-built this company. I mean, I can't technically call myself a co-founder, but I was definitely a founding member and I was definitely C- COO for mm-hmm. six months. Wow. And so so now um, his partner investor is, is COO and there's been a full transition and I was offered a r- insultingly low contract and I walked away and uh, I, I was threatened to be sued today. And I was like, what? wait a minute, hold on. I just said no to your contract like I haven't done anything like after after I like walked away from the contract I sent one text to a customer a client that I had promised a document to by noon and I just I very simply said like hey this document is not going to come from me I'm not going to get it into you today but by Monday um I I'm and I did say I'm not with the company anymore but it was very professional and um so yeah I gotta I gotta I like I was completely cut out. And this is someone that like psychedelics are personal. Trauma yeah. release is personal. Very. A lot of our own shadow projections came up. Mm-hmm. And the difference between me and who he's with now is we weren't sleeping together. And I could very clearly call him out and just be like, hey, listen, this isn't working. And also a lot of what I did was take a look at leadership because my goal, and this is where the top down comes in, my goal is to actually create a structure in culture, in mm-hmm. companies where you understand what a collaboration model looks like. Yeah. And unfortunately, I got booted out, <laughs> not collaborated with. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have a chance to put that policy in place. But that's okay. I may just have to create it myself somewhere else. Yeah, or find one that doesn't impose power dynamics at every turn and stuff like that. Yeah, that's massive. And also people tell me, I'm new to startups. People tell me like, oh yeah, that's, that's founders. Mm-hmm. Like. You know, I, I was a bit maybe innocent or naive. And honestly, this person was just living their life the way that they best knew how. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he probably feels betrayed by me turning down the contract. Like, you know, again. Wait, I actually do need you. <laughs> it, it's, it's all protection or connection. So I'm in the space of like, of course, having all my own survival mechanisms coming up and going, trying to have compassion. Like, 
this person is doing the best they can mm -hmm. with the tools they have. But this, there's one other thing I want to say. I don't know where we are on a time. But psychedelics and ego deaths are common. But a really amazing, insightful female friend of mine who actually lives here in Eugene said yesterday, psychedelics can either work to dissolve the ego or to reinforce it. Yeah. And that's what a lot of people don't realize. Yeah. Some people get the Jesus complex with Some it. people get the Jesus complex okay. with it. So I'm just going to leave it with that. Would she come on their podcast? Who, is she a public figure or someone <laughs> who wouldn't mind being named? I'd love to have her on. Um, she's she's actually cool. she's she's just starting to um, get really involved in trying to change policy here in Eugene. So yeah, cool. I think she would. She's she's a very cool person. I will ask her. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, That'd I'll pass. Hey, fun. I pass on the love. That's my favorite guest is when a guest who I really like says like, hey, yeah, there's someone in town who's like crazy awesome. Oh, like, yeah. I would like to speak to them. You know? She's great. I'll ring her up after this. I'll put you guys in contact. Awesome. I appreciate that. Well, actually, next we're going to go meet the founder of uh, many people say like Arkimoto still kind of a story, even though it's a publicly mm. traded company. It's like still in the development stage, like new new stuff coming out. And it's fascinating to be living next to a founder. Um, oh, yeah. Where because obviously I was a part of the innovation hub that you're currently at with running uh, with like Matt Sayre and Brittany Quick Warner. Mm. The, um, I was at the previous one when it was kind of tied to the Costa Crest funds, so like the, the mm. hedge fund of Eugene, and now it's yeah. part of the Chamber of Commerce. Uh, and it was fascinating going to classes and meeting a lot of people in the startup world. I mean, there's dirt balls mm. on the wall. He was one of the people who I went there with. And so he's making a food business. Um, and then there was other founders who mm. I'm completely off put by where I'm like, whoa, I want nothing to do with you. Like, mm. it's fascinating to see the kind of people who are attracted to startups, much like the people mm. who are attracted to politics aren't necessarily the people you want being your politicians because they're craving that power and authority mm. and stuff. It's like people who want to be a part of startups. Like some people are really like, I, I want to make a positive impact on the world. And then there's just some people who don't have like a good why. They just want to be like, this is how you make a ton of money. Money. yeah and it's like fast it's it's really interesting to kind of judge who you want to be around more because you're going to be more like them like who, yes. who do i want to spend my time with and at a certain point Kend Completely. kenzie and i are almost recluses we're like do you yeah. find yourself going out all like, are, you, are you a very extroverted person who's like, i'll share my time with anyone are you like the world sucks no i'm just kidding yeah. um i i am an extroverted person wow. um actually covid has allowed me to learn more introversion um, and also I'm always in the space of like understanding how to ongoingly heal my own codependence and self-soothe and all that stuff. And it's an, it's a lifetime process, but I, I have a gift. Sometimes it falls into ideal, idealizing, but I tend to see the best in everybody. Mm. And I do believe that people often live into the vision we hold of them. So if you envision someone as being, I'm going to say, use a cheesy word here, but as being their highest self, a lot of times there's something in their vibe, right? There's even a word for it in your nervous system. Your neuroception yeah. picks up. This person is holding a safe space we for me. We were just commenting on this yesterday. We went to Bend and uh, got to visit Nicole Pellian, who was like, mm. she was one or second runner up or something on the, the show alone where it's like you're surviving out in the woods by yourself um, and yeah and no she's film like, crew no film crew you, film you film it yourself and then you put it in and it's what? like you don't yeah. know when the other people tap out so you're just out there and you're like have i yeah. won by 10 days should i tap out and go see my family oh my um God, incredible. seeing her <laughs> on so the you way could back just never go back yeah seeing mm. uh, seeing her and then on the drive back mm. kenzie and i were like we want to be our best selves around her. It's yeah. fascinating. Where some yeah. people like don't bring that out of you at all, and then other people are like, "I want to be my best around them." And I was like, yeah. "That's fascinating to think that you can try mm -hmm. to be the person that makes other people feel like they totally. want to be their best self in front of." I've never thought of being that person, yeah. only viewing yeah. other people as that person or not that person. That's actually like my p personal mission, right? Is to be the kind of person that other people feel really good about. Like I want to be I want to be the kind of person that someone feels like they are better for having had an interaction with me. Still seeking that validation, I see. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, you know, you're not wrong. That's actually an interesting shadow side. Like I've looked at that and I've been like, "Huh. Like trust me, I have looked at every single goal and self-awareness and whatever it is that I have and I've been like, "Hmm, just watch where your ego is still running the show because it is a very insidious thing. Yeah. So you're not wrong. You're not yeah. wrong. Like I it didn't feels mean to call good. You out. Like, no, no, no. Yeah. I, I, I love that. And honestly, actually, what I might say is is what I've learned is that to actually step into your full authentic self and be I know that's like so cheesy to say, but and to be in self. leadership, my yeah. authentic self. 
um, you're going to piss people off. Oh, yeah. And there's there's you can't leave every single person happy. They may be better for being less happy. You know, they may actually be better for you calling them out, but that doesn't mean they're going to like you. Mm -hmm. So I'm not necessarily saying everybody who comes past me is going to like me. Mm -hmm. I'm saying I hope that my interaction, positive or negative, adds value. And positive or negative to me is part of a binary that doesn't even really have to exist. Yeah. It's a great world out there. It's uh, a great world. I'm going to kind of cut you off because yeah. we're hitting an hour. Um, and Sweet. Love beautiful. it. I, I appreciate it and look That's forward to having, potentially having your friend on and having you back on in a while. Yeah. Thank you very much. Love it. Um, do you want anyone to follow you on social media or like uh, reach out to you on email or anything? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So right now I am at She is Born of Fire on Instagram. And I am actually figuring out what my next steps are um, in terms of the psychedelic uh, business. I know that I'm you know, a skilled facilitator and I might work into personal and small group journeys. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, this is like a few days old, so I'm still getting my legs under me, but looking forward um, to your update when you come back on next. They can email you're me at, as well. Yeah. Making it happen. Um, cool. We'll put your, uh, in case people don't make it this quite far, people usually mm-hmm. tune off three minutes from the end. I'll put your Instagram handle in there. And so if anyone wants to reach out, just message her on Instagram. Perfect. Love it. All right.